It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. We're getting you ready for the game on The Build-Up with news from around the league, interviews, highlights, and more. Here's your host, Ted Ramey. All right, what's happening, everyone? We are getting ready for the San Jose Sharks to host the Edmonton Oilers tonight from SAP Center, the second night of a back-to-back for the Sharks. Away last night, losing to the Kings 5-1, and then home tonight, hosting the Oilers. So this is a busy stretch for the San Jose Sharks, and it's also a continuing stretch of very, very difficult scheduling for San Jose. After tonight on New Year's Eve, they are going to be in Colorado, and then things do not get any easier. They are hosting Detroit, then Winnipeg, then Toronto, then they're at Toronto, at Montreal, at Ottawa, at Buffalo, at Chicago, off for a couple of days, home against Anaheim, at LA, then hosting the Rangers, hosting Buffalo, hosting Seattle, and then finishing off the month of January at Anaheim, taking on the Ducks. So this is a challenging stretch for the Sharks, uh, but really, uh, until you get to the middle of the month and that five-game road trip in which you're at Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, Buffalo, and Chicago, that is a just crazy stretch of scheduling for San Jose. So we will see... How they are able to manage it, again, right now they've uh, gone winless through six, so they need to turn things around. News for the Sharks tonight, Magnus Krona will be making his first ever start in the NHL, so we are excited for him. The only other NHL appearance he has in his career was back on the 4th of November in what turned into a 10-2 loss for San Jose. Uh, Very, very difficult situation for him to enter into. I don't hold that against him in the slightest. The team was not playing well then, and uh, he had four goals against. So I am hoping that he will have a much better go around tonight, but he's going to have quite a challenge uh, ahead of him as he's looking at the Edmonton Oilers, who are inconsistent up to this point of the year, but still a very very dangerous team. Uh, to talk more about Edmonton, we are now joined by the voice of the Edmonton Oilers, Jack Michaels. Jack, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Ted, hope you had a great holiday break. Now it's time to get back at it. Of course, the Sharks on the back end of a back-to-back, so you're already a working man. Well, I, I am uh, one of those that gets cut adrift when there's no hockey in my life. I kind of you know live by that schedule, so for three days, I was a little lost, and now now I'm back with it, so it's that much easier. But, you know, I, I, the Sharks have obviously had a, a challenging year that was somewhat expected. But the challenges for Edmonton, not what I think most of us were expecting. So, you know, compared to where your hopes were in the preseason versus the roller coaster you've been up uh, on up to this point, um, you know, just your thoughts on it all. And then, you know, I, tell me if I'm naive. I still fully expect when we are in April that Edmonton is going to be uh, concerning to just about everyone. And you can tell me, you can finish on that if I am naive or accurate. Well, the way it looks right now, Ted, I agree with you. I think they're going to be a dangerous, you know, seven or eight seed, you know, whichever of the wild cards they end up claiming. I still think they have an outside shot at taking one of the three spots in the Pacific. Although, you know, I must concede at this point, 
you know, Vancouver, who I thought would come back to the field, is is showing no signs of slowing down. And instead, if anything, it's Vegas that's looking a little bit wobbly. But I'll say this. I Edmonton has never been an overly quick starting team. Now, mm-hmm. first 10 games, yes. But they usually have this December swoon. Now, this year, it came early. And, you know, even though, like I said, they're usually muddling a couple of games around 500 at Christmas time, the way they got there this year is different. I mean, I don't think anyone was anticipating two, nine and one and the loss in San Jose on November 9th was kind of the final straw as far as, you know, former Sharks assistant and Oilers head coach Jay Woodcroft was concerned. I think even though they won a couple of nights later in Seattle, that was it as it turned out. And they brought in Chris Knobloch and like so many other teams around the NHL, St. Louis to name one in the Western Conference, you've seen a bump. And I think in Edmonton's case, it was more a return to form, particularly for Connor McDavid, who by his standards got off to a tough start. And, you know, when you when you start talking about a point per game through the first 14 <laughs> or 15 games as a tough start, you kind of have to laugh a little bit. But that's the standard he and the rest of the Oilers have set. I think it was important they got back to 500 before the Christmas break. I think it was important that they got two wins heading into the Christmas break in the manner in which they did, scoring four goals in the third period uh, on both nights. You know, those kind of victories have some carryover effect, especially when you consider, Ted, that the Oilers typically play to a winning percentage of about 120 points higher after Christmas than they do before Christmas, at least during Ken Holland's five years as GM. That coupled with the fifth easiest schedule in the NHL over the last 51 games, I think Edmonton's in prime position to make a serious run. One of the most impressive things that I've seen in in recent memory was actually a loss for Edmonton. It was that game against Tampa down 2 nothing. Oilers get a shorty and two power play goals. And if it had been anybody but Vasilevsky doing Vasilevsky things, that's a blowout win for Edmonton. And watching that game, I was just thinking to myself, when this team clicks, watch out. And I think that that's the hardest thing is like you saw the the eight-game win streak, the correction, followed by uh, you know a few losses, and then now wins again. Like I just you know, sometimes you watch a team and you can see them going through those ebbs and flows, but eventually it, it, it trends upwards. And then finally things kind of lock in place. And that's that's what I saw in that game because I was watching and I was just thinking to myself, this should be a blowout win. Like there, it was against all logic watching that game that Vasilevsky was just doing absolutely stupid things to keep the pucks out of the net in that game. But I think that was one where I was saying, yeah, this looks like Edmonton of last year. Well, and it's not the first time the Oilers have had that kind of a performance this year. I mean, just look at the last matchup with San Jose on November the 9th. (laughs) Has Mackenzie Blackwood played a better game this year? I can tell you right, I haven't even looked at his sheet, and I'll tell you right now, he hasn't. He was great. Uh, I think he had 39 saves that night. Edmonton did everything but win the game. I think they outshot him 41-18 to earlier in the season. Scott Wedgwood went into Edmonton. Same thing. You know, I mean, when you have the kind of start the Oilers did and you're as talented as a group as they are, you're going to have those games. I mean, that's how you get off to that bad of a start. 
as opposed to say, you know, five, five and one, you get some goalies who, you know, like starting pitchers in baseball, they can make all the difference. If a guy has a big night, doesn't matter what you're going to do. You know, you're, you're going to end up on the short end. I mean, Vasilevsky gave up four on the night you're referring to, Mm -hmm. and it's probably the best four goals against performance, you know, I've ever seen. And maybe in the history of the league, he was sensational as you point out. So I think Edmonton's rough start was a case of everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And I think when you consider that 31 of Edmonton's 51 games left on the schedule are against bottom 15 teams coupled with, like I said, the recent history is this club will push. I mean, the Oilers were 14-0-1 in their last 15 last year. They're a strong second-half team. So history is on Edmonton's side. The schedule is on Edmonton's side. But having said all that, you know, the Oilers once again have put themselves in a position where they're going to have a taxing regular season. And sometimes that can catch up with you in the later rounds of the playoffs. They haven't given themselves any sort of cushion. What has been Chris Knobloch's overall take on the different challenges that they've gone through since he's come in? Because obviously there was the, the correction eight-game win streak, but we know with the Oilers that ev- everything is under the microscope. We know, you know, how the you know the, the fan and media scene is there, and we know everybody is looking at McDavid differently because I, you know, I'll make the argument that he's probably the greatest that we've ever seen. I mean, just everything is different in Edmonton right now compared to every other team in the NHL. No disrespect to uh, my friends who are Maple Leafs fans, but I, I still say it's different right now for Edmonton. Well, I mean, I think it's because it's universally recognized. They've got two of the best five players in the league. So you've got to take advantage of that championship window when you've got that kind of talent on your roster. Uh, You know, plus they have, you know, Zach Hyman, who's well on his way to his third consecutive career year. I mean, he's on pace for 50 goals right now. Uh, Here's what I would say. I think Chris Knobloch more than anything, and you've probably detected it in some of his press conferences, he's calmed the waters, all the chaos you talk about surrounding Edmonton's hockey team, the outside noise, if you will. He's helped bring kind of a steady hand. He's rolled the lines. He's told players, look, you're my guys. Like, go out and play. Like, we're we're not going to – I mean, first of all, they don't have cap room to make any real significant changes. Let's just get going, you know. He's told Stuart Skinner, you don't have to worry about me yanking you. You're going to be my guy. You have a rough routing. I'm right. I'm going right back to you next game. I think that calming influence, and it's shown up on the ice too. I think the Oilers used in excess of 20 different penalty killing combinations early in the year. He came in, and it's been the same three sets of forwards going over the boards every time in the PK, mm-hmm. without exception. I think he's just slotted everyone where he believes they should be slotted, and then said go to work. Okay. We're not going to juggle. We're not going to shuffle. We're not going to make changes from game to game. As long as we're playing reasonably well, we're just going to stick with the process and we're not going to make any drastic moves. And ultimately, and he said that after the Tampa game, he said, you know, if we play like that, most nights we're going to win. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about that one. And I think that matter of fact approach and that calming influence has trickled down to everyone on the roster. That's what I think he's brought to the table. What do you think when people say everything comes down to the whoever's the netminder on any specific night? Like I, I understand that take because it's an easy one to point to, but I also would contend that the Oilers have enough talent to where they could probably absorb. And when I expect them to be humming as they, they usually are towards the end of the year, that they can be in situations, however, not ideal where they will just be able to outscore the opponent. If that's what the game dictates. Well, I think that dissipates a little bit of the playoffs. I mean, you can't win with 880 goaltending. And that's essentially what Edmonton had in the playoffs last year. I mean, I think Stuart Skinner was pulled three times in the Vegas series. It's hard to win a series, even if you lead in all six games, when your starting goaltender is getting pulled that often. It means something's gone awry. And not necessarily to heap it all on Skinner. The Oilers, you know, I think they're fifth in the league in shots against, but they they give up more high danger chances to steal a, an advanced analytics term than they should. I mean, they've still got to cut down on some of the errors they've made in the slot, but they're getting there. And I think that'll help out the goaltending. I don't think we're in an era where there's a number of superstar goalies in the league. In fact, I think there's one. And you just mentioned his name, Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah. This is not the same league that it was 15 years ago where you could rattle off seven or eight goalies that were perennial all-stars, including a couple of Hall of Fame candidates in, you know, Luongo and Brodeur. I mean, there were some really good goalies back then. I think there's a handful in this league right now. I think Vegas showed you what a well-balanced team in front of a solid goaltender can do for you, mm-hmm. like Canadian Hill. I, you know, and, and the same with Colorado the year prior. I mean, think about it. Like, you know, Darcy Kemper, they had Pavel Francouz on that run. You know, they had some injuries in that. They didn't have an overpowering goaltender. They didn't have a shutdown guy. Um, so, you know, you need solid goaltending. But to your point, I think you need to be more solid in front of them. And Edmonton's getting that. They're starting to get it. Uh, their, their shot suppression has been pretty good. I think they've held something like 11 of the last 14 opponents to 27 shots or less. I expect the same to hold true tonight against San Jose, quite frankly, considering the Sharks are dead last in the league. So it's incumbent upon Skinner to stop 18 of 20 and let his team go to work. To your point, most nights Edmonton should be able to score three and win. Does Knobloch have to warn his team about the Sharks' history of, A, having beaten Edmonton already this year, and also, uh, sir, reasons unknown, the Sharks' wins up to this point of the season uh, have been against usually the better to best teams in the NHL. It's it's against all um, reasoning, but I believe there was a stat that they their wins, their, the winning percentage combined of the teams they had beaten was the highest in the NHL, which um, doesn't jive with expectations, I'll put it that way. Well, here's what I would say. No one on Edmonton's roster has forgotten November 9th. No one on Edmonton's roster has forgotten that that was probably the loss that did in their head coach. 
they were not pleased to see their coach dismissed. No disrespect to Chris Knobloch. Mm-hmm. But this was not a group that felt a change was needed at that position. They were angry at themselves. They're angry at the result on November the 9th. They feel they should have won that game. And I don't think you have to remind Edmonton anything about San Jose tonight because everyone on that roster remembers well. And if the Sharks are going to pull off a win tonight, they're likely going to have to do it against Edmonton's very best game with a far more confident club than the one they faced on November the 9th when the Oilers were 2-8-1 and and really struggling. Jack, I will let you go there. I appreciate your time as always. Have a great call tonight. And uh, I realize I'm, I'm not in the building. I'm at the TV studios for pre and post tonight, so I will not be able to uh, come and talk your ear off at some point, but I will be able to do that again soon. But have a great call, and we'll uh, we'll chat again soon, all right? Well, Ted, if you were there, you might have to get through my security detail because I tip them off about you, okay? <laughs> they, they're pretty tough. They roll about three three deep. take care of yourself and happy new year again that is jack michaels the voice of the edmonton oilers joining us here on the sharks audio network as we get ready for tonight's game between the sharks and edmonton i will be on nbc once again with brody brazil so unfortunately i will not see you at the tank until we get back into the new year on the 2nd of january against detroit But the Sharks have a big task ahead of them in these next two games, hosting Edmonton and then going to Colorado to finish off the year of 2023. A a very difficult stretch for the San Jose Sharks, but it does feel like brighter times are on the horizon for San Jose. It might not happen uh, immediately in 2023 as we, or excuse me, in the 23-24 season, I should say more accurately. But, you know, you pay attention to all the cap space that the Sharks have this upcoming year. And you pay attention to the way that Mike Greer has been situating the Sharks with more talent, more acquisitions, more of everything. I know there were some people who got, you know, a little bit excited about where the Sharks were after that 3-2-1 road trip and the 4-2-1 stretch overall, especially after that win against Winnipeg. And since then, it has been six straight losses, but I think ultimately what we're going to see from the Sharks this year is a team that is not a great hockey team, and I don't think that should surprise anyone. I don't think they will be historically bad, but I don't think it's going to be wild to be considering them in the overall standings of being towards the bottom of where the NHL is at this year, and I don't think that's really that far out of expectations of what we are expecting from the San Jose Sharks. You look at you know, where a team like Ottawa is right now, they've got 26 points. Columbus has 29 points. Chicago has 23. San Jose has 21. Nobody was talking about Chicago at the start of this year being historically bad, yet they were for the Sharks, and yet the Sharks are only two points back of where Chicago is. Now, the Sharks' overall schedule of how they started off 0-10-1, that was surprising to me. I'm not going to lie about that. But the fact of the matter is, Sharks are decent at home. They're 6-8-2. and two. That's not terrible in the slightest. You look at where the Ducks are at home, they are 6-12-0. You look at Seattle, they're 6-8-3. They're not even as good at the Sharks at home, yet they're sitting at fourth in the division. So the Sharks at home have actually been pretty decent, and I do like their chances against an Edmonton team tonight that while they are very potent and while it is going to be Magnus Crona making his first ever start, you know, sometimes those are the little things you need for that extra motivation to be that much tighter early in a game to be that much more you know on point against a team that you know can hurt you in a real hurry and you got to put a good performance out against that team and also make sure that you show up for the guy making his first ever start so you know crazier things have happened I know everyone right now is seemingly 
you know, putting an L on this one before the game has even started, but I don't I don't buy into that. I think the Sharks are going to show up with a good performance, even if it is on the second night of a back-to-back. I think it's the holidays. I think you'll get a good crowd out there to see Edmonton and, of course, Connor McDavid, so I'm expecting the Sharks to show up. We're out of time. Pre-game 7, go time 7.30. Ruzi and Hetty right here on the Sharks Audio Network. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off. This podcast can be found for download under Sharks Hockey Digest on iTunes, Google, and Spotify. And on demand anytime on the Sharks Plus SAP Center app presented by Western Digital. All music by Yogi Yen.